several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow all right, time for your weekly grape encounter. And I'll tell you what, if there was ever a time that the wine industry is buzzing, it is buzzing now for a lot of different reasons, mostly because we have one of the wackiest harvests going on that I have ever seen, at least since the time I've been doing grape encounters. And to help me reflect on what in the world is going on in the world of winemaking is our own Sarah Schneider, who should be fresh back from a whirlwind vacation with 300 of her best friends in Europe. Welcome, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you, David. I'll call it a vacation, sure. How was that trip anyway? The trip was terrific. We were doing a Mediterranean wine cruise and we just had a ton of fun. Now, truthfully, yeah. how many of the 300 names did you memorize? <laughs> know how bad I am on that front. <laughs> Every one of them was important to me, but I can't repeat many names yet. Yeah, no. Let's talk about harvest a little bit. Is it just me or are some of the conversations that are going on between winemakers and really anybody in the industry a little strange these days, aren't they? It's true. I was actually up in Napa last week and went to their annual harvest kickoff party and um, I was interviewing winemakers through the evening and I was just asking one question, and that was, harvest is, and they were supposed to fill in the blank with whatever entered their mind that harvest was to them. And I posed the question to one winemaker, and he said, over. He makes sparkling <laughs> wine, and they have already harvested every single vine for their sparkling wine program. This is about as early as it ever has been, I think, even earlier than last year, which was historically early. And it's creepy, too, because, you know, standing out in the vineyards and looking at some of the clusters of grapes, it, you know, you'll see the whole gambit from one end of the spectrum to the other on a lot of these vines where you see underripe grapes, overripe grapes, and grapes that look like they were born with some kind of a dysfunction. Right. I actually heard an explanation of that, too, again, up in Napa last week. And, and um, they were talking about how the very, very long bloom season um, in spring actually exposed the vines to danger. So much could happen through the long pollination season and that a ton of the berries just didn't pollinate. And so you have those completely green. They're not going anywhere this season on those same bunches. And I saw the same thing. It was really 
quite shocking. Yeah. As you probably know, I, I live in the middle of a vineyard. And, right. and so I do spend a lot of time looking at the grapes. And it was just astounding to me. They picked a good portion of the Zinfandel earlier this week. And they're doing that in two shifts. And, you know, and this often happens anyway. You'll do your first picking and you'll do your second picking. Right. But right. what's astounding to me is so many grapes that sort of went from a beginning state of maturity to shriveled up dried up, you know, ripe, but not a drop of juice in those grapes. Uh, Very quickly. Yet the grapes that are eventually going to be made into wine are just beautiful. The sugars are fantastic. They got a a pretty decent harvest off of the first picking, and then they'll come back probably in another week to two weeks, and they'll pick the rest of it. And, of course, those will be crushed separately. They'll be put into different barrels. Eventually, they'll probably be blended together. But they're also going to be two decidedly different wines. Right. I think it's good news that there is some great quality fruit coming off. Um, I have to laugh that, you know, as a wine writer, when I ask winemakers, how is this vintage shaping up? What's the quality? What are you getting? I always get, well, we have this challenge, but it's going to be the best vintage ever. You know, there's a, there's a spin <laughs> off the back end of that. But this year, I actually think what they're saying is true, that it looks like the crop is going to be short, which is what they call it when there's not going to be as much wine. I've heard up to 30% in different regions, and I've heard that number in Napa, which is a lot less wine. But they're saying that what is coming in is really looking great. It has that balance of the seeds being ripe and mature at the same time the sugar levels are hitting um, the right place. I'm sure this is region to region, but some people seem quite happy. I read something as recently as this morning that there were some estimates of the California grape crop being down around 6%. And I have a really tough time believing that. That might be one of the most optimistic estimates uh, imaginable because just from looking at the grapes and looking at a lot of grapes and doing that year after year after year, clearly the yield on these vines across the board, doesn't matter who you talk to, every grape grower will tell you this crop is coming up way short. Yeah, I think that's the truth of it. I think that's an optimistic estimate too. But you know, we're coming off of two or three really large harvests. There's a lot of wine in the market out there. So maybe this isn't such a bad thing for a correction, as they say. So it's a market correction. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. even though that can be a little spooky. So this is what I'm hearing. And, but I want to, before I even say what I want to say, there was a comment that one of my Facebook friends posted that I thought was pretty funny. And he lives here in wine country. And he said, you know, if I have to hear one more group of winemakers getting together and arguing about whose berries are smaller, I'm going to puke. <laughs> <laughs> the size issue. Yeah, the size issue. But I can say this with a great deal of confidence, that the fruit that I've tasted is absolutely delicious. You know, you've got these very concentrated berries. The flavors are absolutely fantastic. And I don't think it's just a case of putting a positive spin on this year's crop. I think there's going to be some amazingly good wines, but I think it also is going to be a case where the wines of 2015 are going to be expensive. They're going to be in short supply. We don't have to worry about this for a couple of years for the most part. Right, right. In most cases. But I think we're looking at maybe a banner year, but not in terms of quantity. I agree with you completely. I'm actually really looking forward to tasting these wines. 
Yeah. So you're hearing the same thing, but I don't think I've ever heard a single winemaker ever say, gosh, this particular year is really going to make some cruddy wine. <laughs> Nobody ever says that. You're right. Nobody says that. Sarah, it's was that a joke? Bunch. They're they're optimistic as a bunch? Yes. <laughs> I would say absolutely. Who else could do that job where Mother Nature could come in any year and actually shut them down? You have to be optimistic. Yeah, I guess. But I think the most interesting thing about the year 2015 is going to be just how early a lot of these grapes were brought in. I mean, there was harvest going on in July. Right. And that, for the most part, is pretty much unheard of. I, I mean, I except with certain wines like sparklings, perhaps, I suppose. But mainstream grapes were coming in in July. August has been a big harvest month. There are a lot of winemakers who are mostly done. So we'll know very soon just how productive or non-productive the year was. And we'll also know pretty soon just how good this juice is. Yes, we will. And it'll be interesting to see in the years to come whether this is a trend or a fluke. Well, the nice thing is the wines vintage 2015, uh, those wines will get released two months early. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Come in two months early, we we get the wine two months early. (laughs) There won't be as much of it, but what the heck? There's plenty of wine out there, as you said. I'm for drinking early and soon. And then the good news, the best news of all, is everybody's saying drought's over. We'll see. That's a complicated question. Well, we're hearing about the mother of all El Ninos. Although, have you noticed that they've been actually backpedaling on those weather reports a little bit now? And talking about these pockets of heat that may cause the jet stream to go in a different direction. So it may be not as wet as we thought it was going to be, or it might be wet in some very select spots, but not where we had hoped for all the water to fall. So I think at this point, we'll take whatever water comes down from the sky. Okay, so I'm going to leave you with a question, Sarah. Okay. Uh, Have we just gotten way too scientific about all of this? And are we just incapable as human beings of playing the hand that we're dealt? Do we just try to micromanage this too much? I think that's a topic we really should talk about because I think winemakers might be on that spectrum and maybe the best of them still make wine from their gut and not out of their lab. Hmm. Okay, so we're going to be together in person next week, Sarah. It's about time. I've missed sitting down with you. I'm going to be bringing to you next week at least six mystery wines. Are you ready? Ooh, I have to taste blind again? Yeah, but it's not to see how good you are. It's to see how good they are. Excellent. That's a better strategy, isn't it? It is, yeah. All right, we'll see you next week, Sarah. Okay. All right, take care. Bye. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. 
Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. Oh, wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Chinese wine always blows my mind. Chinese wine never again until next time. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio. And I am so pleased to welcome into my studio a guest from very, very far away. It happens to be a place that if you read the wine trades, you will read a story about her home practically every day because when it comes to China and wine, the Chinese people are making news like almost nobody else on the planet because the amount of consumption of wine in China is staggering, no pun intended. The amount of wine production in China is also staggering, and the amount of Chinese investment in wine properties around the world is absolutely staggering. Joining me today are two very special guests. The first is one who's been on my show before. His name is Keith Nichols, and Keith is a very interesting winemaker because Nichols Winery produces a pretty substantial amount of wine, most of which is not sold in the U.S., but is actually sold in Asia. And he brought to me a guest today, and her name is Angelina Wynn. And she is the owner of Wynn Wine, which is a wine wholesaler in a city that is about an hour outside of Hong Kong. And Angelina, welcome to my show. Thank you. Have you been on the radio before? First time come here. The first time that you've come here? Yeah. Great. Well, it's really nice to have you. And I know that English is your second language. So sorry. we're going to, no, don't be sorry. We're going to help you out a little bit so that everybody can learn as much as they can from you because you're a wealth of information. You and I got to speak a bit last night and yesterday, but now we take you to the rest of the world. So first of all, tell me about the town where your wine company is at, where it's located and you work as a wholesaler, but you're in a place called the International Wine Trade Center. Yes. And there are a lot of wine bars and wine sellers there? About eight shops. 
about eight different shops. About a company wide shop at location. Eight companies that are in that location, and are they all wholesalers like you, or do some of them sell to the public? Sell wholesale and sell retail. Okay, so a little bit of wholesale and a little bit of selling to the public. Now, the name of the town, Keith, is Guangzhou, China. Guangzhou, Guangzhou, China. That's a place I imagine that you visited, right? Yes, I have been there. I was there a year ago, June, doing a wine event in Guangzhou, and in fact, that's how I met Angelina. She was at the wine tasting and tasted my wines and really enjoyed them. So she thought it would be nice to come and visit sometime. A distinction about Keith's wines: if you heard the show a while back that I did with Keith, you know that Keith is a rarity in the wine business because he doesn't release any of his wines until they're at least ten years old. You're the most patient. Guy I've ever met. I try to be yes. <laughs> and then you you make a lot of different wines. I love going into your place because there are cases literally stacked two stories high and an abundance of different varietals and vintages of wine. But you hold on to them, and then most of the wine goes to Asia, right? And why do you think that is? Well, I used to do wine events in Europe, and then I started selling my wine in Japan about 15 years ago. And then the California Wine Institute out of San Francisco, which assists in marketing wines in the international community, right?、Uh, I started doing the Asian wine tour, and I realized that is the new market. So I decided I wanted to focus on the Asian market, and I also sell in Canada. Okay, now Angelina, you've owned your business for five years, correct? Yes. I said five years, and I held up four fingers. <laughs> okay,、oh. <laughs> my Chinese isn't that good. See, <laughs> anyway, so what made you get into the business? Why did you start this business? Because I like drinking the wine. You like to drink wine. Yeah. So you did like me. You got into a business that lets you drink wine all the time. Yeah. Another reason is my grandpa like drinking Chinese wine. Because what now? My grandpa. Oh, your grandpa! Your grandpa. Yeah, he like、uh, made some Chinese. Oh, so、wine. your your grandfather makes Chinese wine. Yeah,、uh, the rice is made from the rice. From rice. Yes. Rice wine. Yeah. But it's not sake. No. It's rice wine. Like like Japanese sake. Like Japanese sake. It's okay. It's high alcohol. High alcohol. High in alcohol.、Uh, yeah. About fifteen. About fifteen percent. Yes. Okay, so just a little higher than most wines are. Yes, in my hometown. In your hometown. Now let's talk about wines made from grapes in China, because、okay. the Chinese are planting vineyards everywhere, and I think they now have. At least there are claims now that China is the second largest yeah. wine growing yeah. region in the world. Is that correct? Yes, the location is name is Ningxia. Ningxia. Yeah, Ningxia, the northwest of China. Oh, in the northwest of China. Yes, is that near the Yellow River? North Yellow. North of the Yellow River. Yeah, and, yeah, and north、uh, of the no. Yellow River. Yeah. And so, are you selling a lot of Chinese wine as well? No, I have no. No, you don't. So you're mostly importing wine from other countries、yes. into China. Yeah. And where are the most popular wines for the Chinese coming from? The French, the French, French yeah, and Austria, France, and Australia. Yeah, and Spain. In Spain, Spain, and, and California, why? And California, and you didn't mention Bordeaux. Oh, you said France. Okay. Yeah. So、uh, there have been a lot of stories about the Chinese going to Bordeaux、yeah. and buying all of the wine. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, the French government many tasting meeting at、uh, China. 
Okay, so the French government then is they're supporting the the purchase of wine by the Chinese people. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, David. Also, I'd like to mention that Angelina has told me that she has actually spent time in Burgundy during harvest and worked wow. the harvest, and also in Italy, Spain, and Portugal. You picked the grapes yourself. You worked the harvest. You harvest the wines. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You actually worked and picked fruit in Italy and in the French Burgundy area. You worked the harvest. Yeah, last year I've been to Bordeaux and Burgundy and Portugal. So she was picking grapes in Bordeaux, Burgundy, and Portugal. That's amazing. And, and Italy, Piemonte, Barolo, and Barbaresco. Holy smoke! You get around. Yeah. Wow. All right. It looks like everyone here in the studio could use a refill. So we're going to take a quick break to crack open something very special for our guests from the far east and the far west. With me in the studio, it's Keith Nichols of Nichols Winery. Keith is one of an elite group of winemakers who insists on letting his wines age for at least ten years before taking them to market. But when the Nichols wines finally do go to market, most of them are sold in Asia, which is exactly why Angelina Wynn of Wynn Wines is with us today. Angelina got a chance to taste some of Keith's wines during one of Keith's recent visits to China, and she was so enamored with these well-aged wines that she decided to travel all the way to California to see what else Keith has up his sleeves. A little later on in the show, we'll take you to Lodi, California, by phone. To learn why this once obscure wine region is getting so much buzz, heck, with so many outstanding wines to choose from, you're never stuck in Lodi. We'll be back with more grape encounters right after this. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero, the gateway to good times, at visitatascadero.com. If you'd like to hear more no-nonsense talk about wine and all the fun that goes with it, check out winetalkshow.com. At winetalkshow.com, you'll find a massive library of content for fun-loving, unpretentious people who aren't afraid to step outside the lines and challenge conventional wisdom. We'll take you places you've never been before. That's a promise. Expand your wine horizons in unimaginable ways at winetalkshow.com. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin costs a little bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works. 
The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Click the Coravin link at GrapeEncounters.com. A wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. Like certain wines, he's syrupy, sweet, and has long legs. Here's David Wilson. All righty, your grape encounter continues with my special guest, California winemaker Keith Nichols, and one of his colleagues in the business, visiting all the way from China, it's Angelina Wynn, owner of the wine importation firm Wynn Wines. You know, when I heard that Angelina was in the States visiting Keith, I just had to get her on the show. I mean, after all, who better to talk about the Chinese passion for wine than someone who travels the world trying to determine what her countrymen and women will like? So let's talk about the wines that the Chinese are drinking. For a long time, as we said a few moments ago, they were buying a lot of wine from Bordeaux. But now, as I understand it, a lot of wine now coming from Australia. Australia and, and Chile. And Chile. where? Chile. Chile. Okay, so Chile and Australia uh, and California as well. Yeah, yeah. And Chile, the wine price is uh, cheaper. Cheaper. The wines yeah, from Chile are very inexpensive. Oh, the wines because, are cheaper, yeah. Because of the taxi. Taxes. Are- oh, okay. So no taxes. Yeah. No, no, wine, yeah, no. Wine, just one tax. Because China import wine, they import taxes free. Okay, so they import tax free is what yes. I'm understanding. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. So, for a while, the Chinese were buying the very expensive wines. Rich people buy the... The rich people buy the expensive wines. Uh, like the California Opus 1. Okay, so like California Opus 1. Yeah. And, and very soon Nichols. <laughs> you're going to make a sales pitch here. But now as more Chinese discover wine, drink wine, is the market now growing for less expensive wines, wines that are not expensive? And is that why wines from Chile and other places are becoming more popular in China? Yeah, like Spain, Spain, the La Marcha. La Marcha. Do you know the La Marcha? Yeah, La Marcha, yes. Yeah, the wine, the place is good. The wine from the uh, La Marcha is good and not expensive. I think so, no expensive. Tell me what the Chinese think about California wines. Think about California wine. Do they love the California wines? Yeah, because the flavor is heavy. Is heavy? Yeah, the Chinese people like. They like the intensity, the heavy flavor. Yeah, yeah. So compared to other places like Spain and France, do they like California more? Or do they like Bordeaux and Burgundy more? Yeah, different people, different tastes. Different like people, high. different yeah. tastes. Some people like flavor heavy and some people like more sweet or some people like the more acid stuff. The more acidic. Yeah. So some, pe- some people like it heavy, some people like it sweet, some people like it acidic. Yeah. But the wines that have high tannins, 
Yeah, Taiwanese. those are very popular. High Taiwanese popular, I think so. Is、uh, the people have been taste many years? Okay, so the people who are buying wines with high tannins and probably high acid、yeah. are people who are experienced. They've been drinking wine for a long time. Yes, yes. Okay, great. And then the sweet wines are being sold probably to newer wine drinkers, right? Yeah, yeah, and ladies, ladies, and probably young people as well. Yeah, sparkling wine. Sparkling wine, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they buy sparkling wine, sparkling sweet wines. Uh, yeah, yeah. So tell me, in the five years that you've been in business, how much has your business grown?、Uh, how much has your business gotten bigger? Um, it's growing. It's growing a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what are the wines that people are asking for the most? They like France. They like the French. That's and Austria. French and Australian. Because of the Austria, the blend Penfold is very famous in China. Penfolds. Okay, and that's a very popular wine that you sell. Yeah, Echana is very popular. Very popular. Yeah, because of tasting the flavor, the Chinese people like. Like the Syrah grape. Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah. Okay, it's a okay, blend of Cabernet, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which the Australians do very, very well. Yes. So, what do you like to drink yourself? Your favorite wines? Maybe French, maybe Barolo, maybe Spanish wine. French Barolo, Spanish. What about Pinot Noir? I like Pinot Noir from the Burgundy and Calif. For Pinot Noir is different Burgundy. It's different. Yeah, yeah. Do you like it as well? Yeah, yeah, but it's very different. But very different. And then what about in the rest of China? Do the Chinese people drink a lot of Pinot Noir? It's obviously very popular here. Because you know, Burgundy Pinot Noir is expensive. It's expensive. So, so just some rich people buy the Burgundy Pinot Noir, and Burgundy the Pinot Noir need the time decanter. Need a decanter. Yeah, Chinese people. They're not patient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not patient. So they, well, that's no different than Americans. So yeah, you know, what you're saying is that Pinot Noir requires decanting, and the Chinese people do not have the patience, and they don't want to spend that much money. Yeah, because Chinese people they taste the wine is off. Oh, they okay. Yeah, so they you, you have to see you have to、fast. see the gesture here in in the studio. She made a gesture of them chugging the wine. Is that right, Keith? Yes. I think that's what I'm yes, getting there. Yes, they drink it very quickly and. Oh yes. my gosh! And I've seen that as well when I go to China. Yeah, they drink it like soda pop. Well, you know, it's interesting what Angelina is saying. So that plays right into the Nichols brand of wines, in that I've aged them for ten years, so they're ready to drink for the Chinese people. Wow, you're going to throw a sales pitch in every couple of minutes here. Every、Keith. time I get a chance. Yes, <laughs> I think Angelina, you better import his wines.、Uh... I talk about the price. <laughs> if the price is expensive, if the price is too expensive, it's difficult to the marketing. Yeah, it's difficult to market it if the wine is expensive. Yeah. So that sounds to me like the big change in China is more sales of less expensive wines, where there was a time when the focus was on buying many expensive wines. Now more people are drinking wine. And you're having to import less expensive wines. No, because the government, the people, they usually buy some expensive wine. Expensive wine is just for rich people. Just for the rich people.、Uh, yeah. Can I interject? Yes, sir. Yeah. It,、uh, recently, with the new president of China, he has cracked down on the government 
spending a lot of money on wine. So therefore, there's many people who used to buy expensive wines from Bordeaux that can no longer buy because the government says enough. We've had enough of these parties. So we need to cut back. So therefore, you're looking to the normal Chinese consumer to buy wines. And probably that's why the shift towards less expensive wines is occurring. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, very interesting information. This is uh, very interesting. I really appreciate you coming. You came and visited my wine store, the Grape Encounters Emporium. Did you enjoy looking at our wines? I will look at all your wines. My wines are much cheaper than Keith's. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. And the price is really good. The for, price is good. Okay. Because so, your price is little price. Little prices. Uh, is for, for people buy one bottle. Yeah, exactly. Small prices. Uh, people can afford it. You know, maybe after the show, we'll go to my store and we'll make a deal. Oh. Okay. Okay. I'll sell you some wine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I thought maybe you might like to buy some wine from me. You? Yes. Maybe well, in future, if the price is good. Okay. Well, David, she still has many stops to make. So she's going to Napa and New York City before she goes back. So she can't really be carrying. You're a world traveler. I wasn't really suggesting oh, that she buy okay. wine. It was a joke. Oh, I see. Okay. It was a joke. Small joke. Maybe okay. I can work for you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could work for me. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I would, yeah. I would love that. Okay. So I got a new manager of the wine bar and tasting room, just like that. That's, <laughs> Wonderful. That's fantastic. Well, you know, all the places that you have been, Angelina, you probably know more about wine than just about anybody. Yeah. I still learning. Are you okay. studying to be a sommelier? Study. To be a, a som, a sommelier. Are you going to school to learn more? I have not been just learn at the winery. You just learn at the wineries. Well, That's- she has a book right now that she's reading that goes through all the different regions of the world and explains how the wines are made in those regions. So she's spending many hours at my tasting room reading and studying. Okay. Well, wonderful. Well, very nice to have you on. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I hope to come visit you sometime soon. Welcome to China. Will you take me around and show me the Chinese vineyards? Of course. Okay, great. Do you like the Chinese wines, the grape wines? Yes, because I'm Chinese. Well, that's, you know, <laughs> I'm American, but I don't like all American wines. <laughs> Chinese red wine will become bad. Chinese red wine will become better. Oh, it'll become better. So the yeah. chi- the red wine will become better. Yeah, as I need the time. It needs time. But they definitely are winning a lot of awards and getting a lot of attention. People are learning about Chinese wines. We don't see them here in the United States yet, but maybe someday. Maybe, maybe you can export them to the U.S. <laughs> I think so. Okay, she thinks so. Okay, well, that's going to do it. Keith Nichols, always a pleasure to have you in. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. I thank you so much, David. You're a wonderful asset to the community here in Atascadero and to California and to the United States. I know many people enjoy your radio show. And why not the world? And We're the world, t- yes. going to take it to the rest why of not the, world? the world. Okay, yes, I agree. My uh, deepest thanks to Keith Nichols of the Nichols Winery and Angelina Wynn of the Wynn Wine Company which is located in China, just about an hour from Hong Kong. Yes. Okay. Angelina, I look forward to seeing you someday in China. In the meantime, we're going to stay a little closer to home and introduce you to David Phillips of the Michael David Winery in Lodi, California. Now, if the name sounds familiar, it ought to. David and his brother, Michael, produce, among many other wines, Seven Deadly Zins, which is the most successful Zinfandel by dollar sales volume in the country. That story coming up next on Grape Encounters Radio. 
unpretentious, unconventional, and uncorked. This is Grape Encounters Radio. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero the gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. If you have a thirst for wine knowledge, be it trivia or the latest trends, there's a website that's overflowing with content that we've created just for you. It's grapeencounters.com, where you'll find literally hundreds upon hundreds of stories and interviews covering almost every topic imaginable. From the world's most colorful and renowned winemakers to unforgettable wine adventures, there's something for every wine lover at grapeencounters.com. Go ahead. Log on, uncork, pour, swirl, and sip. We're all guilty of sin. We open a costly bottle of wine and recork it with the intent of drinking the rest later. But later comes and goes, and that delicious wine also goes. South, that is. The Coravin is the most reliable way to enjoy your wine without any concern about the unconsumed wine going bad. And while the Coravin wine access system costs a bit more than other preservation systems, it does something they don't. It works perfectly. The Coravin is a beautifully engineered handheld device that gives you access to your wine through a small needle that you gently push straight through the cork. Inert argon gas is injected into the bottle, while as little or as much of the wine that you want flows right into your glass. The argon gas keeps your wine so safe, it's as though you never opened the bottle. Want to learn more? Simply click the Coravin link online at GrapeEncounters.com. Oh, wine is a terrible thing to waste. Get your Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. You're listening to Grape Encounters Radio, where we tell you things your parents never taught you about wine. But don't blame them. Grape Encounters wasn't around in those days. We are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and we're now going to take a little trip by telephone to Lodi, California, where the Michael David Winery is producing some very delicious, approachable, and affordable wines that can be found throughout the U.S. and beyond. Their Seven Deadly Zins label continues to enjoy unparalleled success, and on the line with me is David Phillips. Dave, welcome to the show. Hi there, thanks. Man, very exciting to have you on for more reasons than I can even tell you, but the main reasons are, first of all, the opportunity to talk about wines of Lodi, California, which is a region that is really getting a lot of buzz these days, and also to talk about the fact that you are the number one producer, I guess in dollar volume, of Zinfandel in the country. Yeah, that's correct. We're the Zin leaders, especially Lodi. About 40% of all the Zin in the world is right here. That's just amazing. Now, talk to me about the history of your family where winemaking is concerned, because you're, what, a fourth-generation winemaker? Michael and I are fifth generation. Oh, oh, fifth generation. Our great-great-grandparents homestead here in 1865 on the west side of Lodi, where the deep, sandy soils are very fertile. And they start out growing watermelons and then switch to a lot of grapes and then still very diverse agriculture. At what point did they switch to grapes? Uh, A lot of them actually were planted during Prohibition. Lodi had the rail line, and everybody, of course, had to have fresh grapes shipped to them back east to make juice in their house. 
I remember talking to David Mirisu about his family's experiences during Prohibition and how they would ship grapes that had instructions on how to make wine. And it said, do not do this, do not do that. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I think the same story gets told by everybody around that time. I I love that. So one of the very interesting things uh, about the Michael David wines is the fact that you guys blew off pretentiousness a long time ago. And I, I have to think that you were certainly among those at the forefront of getting extremely creative with wine names and wine labels. Yeah, we pretty much got real lucky there when we had to change our name because our winery used to be called Phillips and we got sued by some of the other Phillipses that were in the alcohol business. Learned a lot about trademark law and then we had to get creative and, you know, Seven Deadly Zins has kind of happened because of our Catholic school upbringing and we introduced it back in 2002 and it was just an immediate hit and then uh, we have a very talented marketing team here that comes up with some really cool labels for us and cool artwork. All of our labels are designed in Lodi. You know, the Freak Show and Petit Petit and Incognito are all done by local people. We know that women buy most of the wine. They like a cool label, but you got to back it up with great juice, and that's been our secret to success. So is Zinfandel what's driving the industry there? Zinfandel is still king, but what's really happening are the more unusual varietals. Lodi, last count, has 108 different varieties planted Holy in the smoke. Appalachian. Because we can afford to do it. In Napa, you can't afford to plant anything else but Cabernet. So in Lodi, we, you know, the land's a lot cheaper, and we can afford to experiment, especially with the Mediterranean and Iberian varietals. They're just thriving here. And we're making really fun stuff like Tanat and straight Petit Verdot and neighbors of mine doing beautiful albarinos. It's just great, great working with fruit here. We're talking to Dave Phillips. He's president of Michael David Winery, and they're responsible for a lot of wines that you're familiar with. Your lead wine is Seven Deadly Zins, but then you've got the very well-known Earthquake Zinfandel, and then you said the cab is doing quite well. Yes, we got our new Freak Show brand really doing well. It's a $20 Cabernet that tastes like a $40 Cabernet, and it's got a full wrap label of a bunch of circus freaks on it, and it's just on fire. It's you know, finally getting into most every door shelf <laughs> around the country, so people can actually find it now. So t- tell me how you come up with the names. You have the Freak Show Cab, you have Gluttony's Infidel, you have Incognito, of course, the three different earthquake wines. I don't know if there are more than that. Six Cents Syrah. Tell me the process to come up with a wine name. Well, it usually involves some wine drinking. But <laughs> in my barrel, uh, you know, my brother and I came up with most of the names. And then, uh, like I said, we have a very talented young marketing team that's been bringing some new things to us, too, like the Freak Show and the Ink Blot. But, you know, Seven Deadly Zins and all the Sins, Gluttony, Sloth, Greet is all because of, a, you know, I say it's the one good thing I got out of going to Catholic school was... <laughs> the ideas for that. If you were to tell somebody what differentiates, for instance, a Lodi Cabernet from a Napa Cab or a Lodi Zinfandel from a Central Coast Zinfandel or mm-hmm. uh, an Italian Primitivo, what are the distinguishing factors of the grapes that are grown there and the wines that are made there? Well, because of our microclimate with the you know hot days, cool nights, typical thing, um, we get a beautiful balance of fruit very perfumey almost on the nose. And we lack tannins a little bit, so the wines are much ready to drink at a younger age. And, you know, we know most Americans age their wine about an hour as they drive it home. <laughs> yeah. So when people open a bottle of Lodi wine, it's going to be ready to drink the day they buy it. 
And I think some other regions, that's not always the case. So people love that upfront fruit. You know, even though we make all of our wines very dry, they perceive to have almost some sweetness to them because of the fruit levels. Well, that's a big difference, I think, between the American palate and the palate of people in other parts of the world. So tell me about this year's harvest, because I read something on Facebook the other day. Somebody wrote, you know, I'm tired of hearing winemakers getting together and arguing whose berries are smaller uh-huh. this <laughs> year. Well, and for you, because of the immense amount of volume that you do, obviously you have commitments that you have to deal with. Everybody's saying this is going to be a much smaller crop. Is that the case in Lodi? What are you looking at? Yeah, it's uh, it's slightly below normal in Lodi, but we've got plenty of fruit. Quality's fantastic. Fourth year of drought, so um, droughts tend to make really good wine, actually. So we're uh, pretty excited about it, but we're ready for El Nino. Bring it on. Let's have, <laughs> let's have the floods. Well, what, what, is, what is the water situation up there right now in Lodi? We're irrigated from the Macalmie River, which comes right out of Bear Valley in the central Sierras, and we have two reservoirs above us. So our, you know, it's managed pretty well by East Bay mud. And, you know, we have enough water in the river and we have well water if we need it, but we try to use all surface water trying to replenish our groundwater supplies. So you're still in pretty good shape? We're in pretty good shape in Lodi, yeah. Okay, so if somebody's looking for the wines, what's the best way to go about finding them? Because I do want to say this, your price points are terrific. And you do have some wonderful varietals that you're making, Petite Syrah being one of them. So where do we get them? Mainline, the Seven Zins, Petite Petite, Six Cent Syrah, available widely in supermarkets and Costco um, all over the country. All the major supermarket chains are now fairly big buyers for us. Well, I can honestly say this. I'm familiar with a number of your wines. I've had them multiple times. They are especially for more modestly priced wines and nationally available wines. You cannot go wrong with wines from this winery. So if you want to know more about the wines, you can just go to the website, michaeldavidwinery.com. There's a rundown on all of the varietals there, all of the wines. Dave, I so appreciate you being on the show. What a pleasure. It's an honor to speak to you as somebody who's had such great success with really decent wines. And sometimes those things don't go hand in hand. Yes, thank you very much. Okay, you're very welcome. All right, my thanks to Dave Phillips from Michael David Winery. Fantastic wines. Check them out online. You can find them most any place. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters Radio for today. What a way to go out. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounters microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. 